Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. My name is Ryan Miner. Thanks for listening in to a Minor Detail Radio podcast. You can find us on the web at aminordetail.com. Today, I have a special guest, my congressman from Maryland's 6th District, who is the first entrant into the 2020 presidential contest already. And let's go ahead and welcome Congressman John Delaney of Maryland's 6th Congressional District. Hey, John, how are you? John, hi. <laughs> Do I have Congressman Delaney? John, I, I, I have you on board here, but I, I can't hear you. Technical difficulties here. John, can you hear me? I can, Ryan. How you doing? Hey John, how are you this morning? Thanks for coming on I'm and good. talking about. I'm sorry, I'm on my cell phone, so I, oh. I don't know how to connect. <laughs> no worries at all. Well, um, I, I want to thank you for uh, spending a little bit of time with us, and we miss you. Well, I, wish, I don't want to say we miss you too much because I know you're, you've been a very busy man. You've campaigned in 72 of Iowa's 99 counties. You've visited New Hampshire eight times, and. You've spent some money out in the te- uh, the television media market in Cedar Rapids and Des Moines, and you are the first of the 2020 Democratic presidential candidates to wade into um, what seems to be what is right around the corner. We, it looks like we just had an election, and now we're having another election coming up, but this one is the most important election. And so, John, tell us what's going on out in Iowa and up in New Hampshire. So things are going well. We've done about, um, I think, almost 210 events on the ground in those two states. And uh, you know what these kind of events are like, uh, Ryan, because they're the same kind of things I did at the six, which is a lot of town halls, meets and greets, uh, you know, coffees with local Democrats. And um, it's been great. I mean, it's been an amazing opportunity for me to listen to uh, what uh, voters are thinking, and what Democrats are thinking in these two states. Uh, and introduce myself to them. So, you know, the point that I'm really making um, to the people I meet with is that what really has to happen in this country is, you know, we have to start coming together. And we've got to do that for two reasons. Number one, to start getting things to to actually put together a coalition that could defeat Donald Trump. So I think the right answer out there is for progressive Democrats, centrist Democrats, independents, and kind of disaffected Republicans to actually come together and create both a winning and governing coalition in this country and kind of take our country back. Where do you see your campaign in the mold of the, the, the presidential conversation? I know that 
you're getting media, but still, I see Washington Post articles, and I read all, try to try to read as much national press as possible. And you know, they're mentioning big names like Vice President Joe Biden, uh, Senator Kamala Harris, Cory Booker, uh, Bernie Sanders, maybe. But I, I see you are running more of a bipartisan campaign that's focusing on kitchen table issues. And you're, you're sort of ignoring the, the chatter and you're building your name recognition slowly but surely. I mean, look, I, I saw a poll that some 52 percent of Iowans now recognize who you are, John. Where do you fit into the calculus in, in 2020? Yeah, see, I'm, uh, you really nailed it right there, Ryan. I'm running what I'm calling kind of a bottoms up campaign, which is meeting with voters in the early states. And uh, I believe that. Um, if I do that successfully uh, over these, you know, what I've done across the last 10, 11 months for the next year, then we will have a very strong showing in Iowa, New Hampshire, including in polls that people will likely do next year. And uh, and that will cause us to pop nationally. So I've avoided kind of the national issues, one, because I think they're incredibly divisive. And I, I actually don't think a lot of Americans you know, they, they certainly have an opinion on these things, but it's not what really affects their day-to-day lives. And uh, I really tried to focus is, is what you've said, kind of kitchen table issues and meet with people and talk about real solutions to to, uh, to in their lives. And I think if we do that successfully and continue to drive up my name ID, you know, I think we'll do very well. And suddenly the national media will focus on us. It'll be an interesting story because they'll be like, wow, what has this guy been doing this past? Look how it's working. Well, I've been to Iowa and I've been to New Hampshire, uh, and I I like both states. I spent some time up in New Hampshire. And, you know, look, what I like about the the caucus and the primary, when I was in New Hampshire, John, you literally – sometimes you're in a meet and greet with 20 or 30 folks, maybe even less, and a diner. A coffee shop outside at a at a festival. I remember meeting several national names. John Kasich, John McCain was there. And what's great is the the hands on feeling that sometimes you feel in Washington, where uh, politicians are untouchable. Do you get that similar sense when you're visiting Iowans and New Hampshireans when you're talking to them that it's a real intimate type of conversation? It is, and uh, I, I find it the best part of campaigning, to be honest with you. It's the, my favorite part of, of being in Congress has always been kind of campaigning in the sixth, um, because, as you know, because I would see you out there a lot. You know, I like interacting with people. I like answering their questions. You know, I think people get a better feel for me sometimes in the Q&A than they do if I just give a speech. And uh, so I think the more I more of an opportunity I have to do that, the better. And, and, you know, people are great and they've got good questions, good ideas. And you just learn so much listening and hearing what they're, what they're really concerned about. Um, and again, in, as you said, in Washington, there is a bit of a bubble in lots of ways, but there's also kind of an issue bubble, right? Because what's become important in Washington from an issue perspective is the stuff that does well on social media. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, again, that tends to be targeted towards a very specific, active, but specific audience. And it's not as much focused on what real people care about. Look at this ridiculous hearing. Yeah, I wouldn't say that. preposterous, but it's such a uh, galactic waste of time. 
Yeah, I I think so too. People don't care about this stuff. No, I mean I think they look at it and see political theater. They see both parties taking pot shots at one another. I mean, especially the Republicans. And when I saw yesterday uh, your colleague Louis Gohmert attack Peter Strzok uh, personally, I I watched uh, Trey Gowdy, who spent what two years on a Benghazi investigation that yielded nothing, and taxpayers are looking at this and we're watching it. We're saying this is not what. Americans care about. I mean, it might be great TV. It might be entertaining to watch. But really, yesterday, I I looked at the national coverage and I I watched it. And I thought, this is this is embarrassing for our country. And we we have an FBI agent who uh, texted some things to, you know, Lisa Page that all of us were thinking, and I have to give credit to your colleague from the 8th Congressional District, Jamie Raskin. I mean, he pointed out some some real hypocrisy on from the Republicans coming in. But you're right, John, I, I watched yesterday. And I mean, do people ask you about like, hey, what what is really happening in Washington? Do these type of topics come up or are people more concerned about um, build, growing a business or their health care or issues like uh, the basic economic issues trade? I, I just can't see how people would really be concerned about what an FBI agent texted to Lisa Page that somehow corroded this entire Russia investigation. I, yeah, you could. You said it perfectly. I mean, I, I tend to think there are four issues that are what most Americans care about on their day-to-day lives, right? They care about uh, health care. They care about the educational experience for their kids about their jobs and kind of the jobs that might be available for the kids, and they care about our national defense and national security. Right. If, yeah. if you're not talking about one of those four issues, you're really not talking about issues that most of us Well, um, John. And, if, you know, that was a spectacle yesterday. I mean, look at the emails, he, the texts he sent were terrible. He doesn't strike me as a particularly good person, to be honest with you. But the spectacle that they've created and the hypocrisy, um, which Jamie did a nice job, as did Jerry Conley as well, it was just a waste of everyone's time. Yeah, I, I, I thought Bob so. Bob Mueller too. fired that guy the minute he heard about this. Right. What he should have done. Right. Um, it, you know, but I want to talk about it. The minute he heard about it, he got rid of him. You're, you're right, John. He did fire him, and now we're we're yeah, we're I mean, using the. He should have. I mean, uh, those email those texts were wrong, and uh, the whole circumstances around them were bad. And Mueller looked at this, and I think I've never met Bob Mueller, but he strikes me as highly ethical, uh, straight shooter. And he looked at that and said, "You're not working on this anymore." John, this past Monday night, we had a Supreme Court nominee, uh, Brett Kavanaugh, who is from Chevy Chase, lives in uh, the, yeah. that area, grew up and went to Georgetown Prep, uh, educated at Yale and Yale Law School. Would a John Delaney, a President John Delaney, would that be the type of – would a Brett Kavanaugh be the mold of a Supreme Court justice he would appoint to the U.S. Supreme Court? No, I would, I would not have selected Brett. Uh, Kavanaugh to the Supreme Court. He would not be by the um, Which doesn't mean I think he's a bad person. Uh, best I can tell, he's probably lived a good life uh, and been a good public servant. But, um, you know, his views don't line up with the kind of open-mindedness that I would be uh, looking for uh, on the court. Um, and I think, you know, some of the statements about 
presidential and executive power are concerning opinions. I mean, we're, listen, we're not, you know, the, the kind of nominees that Democratic presidents put forward and Republicans put forward are, are fundamentally different on a couple of them. Sure. I understand that. But uh, um, he's got a fair, fair hearing. We should hear him out. We should listen to his testimony carefully. I try not to prejudge, which is why I didn't announce Checked uh, the president's uh, nominee before he even made it, which I thought was uh, was kind of a stupid thing on my party to do, to be honest with you. Yeah, I know that. But, you know, he's Democrat. obviously not someone I would have selected, but uh, we ought to hear what he has to say. But I don't expect him to get a lot of Democratic support. Well, I wish that the president would have considered nominating Merrick Garland, who I think was robbed yeah. a seat by Senate Republicans because of this. Uh, you know, the election year rule that they would not hear a Supreme Court justice, but Merrick Garland of the D.C. Circuit Court, um, or I'm sorry, the Court of Appeal. I mean, this guy was extremely qualified to be a U.S. Supreme Court justice when President Obama nominated him. And when Antonin Scalia passed away, I thought that he was a moderate, reasonable choice and someone who would have been a fantastic Supreme Court justice. And I just see politics at play. There's so much politics that is driving the conversation, John, rather than, like you said, kitchen table issues that people really care about. You've been up and down throughout the 6th District, and I know that people in Allegheny and Garrett County and Washington, down to Montgomery and then Frederick, they're look, we're concerned about our economy. We want to grow jobs. We want to bring in, uh, you know, this, a biotech sector. We want to make sure that our roads are fixed, that government is working for us. So, I, and I see you shaping your candidacy and you're reaching across the aisle to both Democrats yeah. and Republicans. And when you're, and look, and up in New Hampshire, I've spent, like I said, I've spent time there and New Hampshire people there, they're, they're fickle in the sense that they will tell you exactly what is on their minds. And I know that right. you've, you've spent a lot of time there. And this I is repressive. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe talk about that a bit. Talk, talk to you. I mean, maybe when, when you sit down with them, are they asking questions about what can, you know, when you, if you're elected president, not necessarily they're thinking so much about Donald Trump as president now, but rather, I think they're thinking about issues that people are actually care about, what they're voting on, what they go into the voting booth. And Donald Trump is a big issue, but we have to get to the bread and butter. What does the Democratic Party stand for? So, you know, it's, it's really funny what, what most the, the most common question I probably get is, OK, how do we actually change how Washington works? And what they're really getting at is, you know, how do we get to a point where Democrats and Republicans start trying to work together and get some things done. Right. Because the big thing, and for literally decades of fighting, we haven't been able to get some of the obvious things we need for the American, which doesn't mean making government bigger or smaller. It just means doing smart things responsive to how the world changes. Things like immigration reform, you know, kind of basic things like that. And, and you know, what I say is that it seems to me three things have to happen in this country right now. The first is we need new leadership, people who really do want to bring the country together and not divide. I almost think that one of the oaths president should take is to never divide the country. Um, wouldn't that be amazing if right now who kind of acted in that way instead of being the divider in chief, which is what I think he is. 
So that's one thing. We need different types of leaders. We also, I think, need to do some intentional things to really change our Congress once a quarter, because I think we need more transparency as to, as to how the parties really feel about issues. I've called for national service to create a program where all of our high school grads would have an opportunity to serve the country, either in the military or by doing community service or by participating in kind of a national infrastructure because I think like that could be incredibly unifying for the country. It would be it wouldn't be mandatory, it'd be optional, but I think we could market it and make it attractive for young people so that a lot of them would do it. But I also think the American people need to play a role in this. I mean, they have to be called upon, similar to the way John F. Kennedy called upon his generation. I mean, we have to call upon this generation to actually own some responsibility for healing the divisions in this country. And if every American do something in their own lives to do that, this problem could change fast. And then, John, you know, if we could do John. those things, I think we could then get back to doing the people's work because we don't want to be this divided for a couple reasons. One, it obviously doesn't feel right. It affects our resiliency, but it does, as you say, prevent us from dealing with the real kitchen table issues that the Americans, the American people need us to deal with. Yeah. I John, I, I see that the president is over and meeting with the prime minister of Great Britain today. He's scheduled to meet with the queen. They had their NATO summit. Foreign policy is clearly a massive issue, a set of complex and comprehensive worldwide issues that an American president would deal with in their term. And looking at the NATO summit, John, are you are you concerned about how America was received there and whether our NATO would be in jeopardy of losing American support based on this president's intemperate remarks. We just don't know what we're going to get with him. And he says in one statement that they need to pay more when, you know, I think they're actually paying their other countries are paying their fair share. And then he says, he makes another statement that it, everything is just fine. Um, I just ne we never know what we're going to get. It's just confusion and chaos, so it seems. Right. Yeah. I mean, look. I think one thing that, that, that the president certainly underestimates, and, and people need to be reminded of, I think, all the time, is the notion of having allies, right? Which we do, uh, is very unique in the world. Not there's not a country that rivals us in terms of the breadth and depths of our alliance. And, you know, some, sometimes I think people think every country has a bunch of allies. Well, that's actually not the way it works, right? We have allies. We've worked for decades to build these relationships. And we've structured a lot of these relationships around our own national interest, which is something that, again, I think the president completely either underestimates or doesn't understand, which is these alliances were, were not created for the good of our allies. They for the mutual benefit of all countries, and in many instances, for the benefit of the United States of America. You know, he he trashes them. I mean, look at what he's done with Canada, right? He pulled one small aspect of the relationship with Canada, you know, our, our kind of tariffs on dairy. Holds it up to the American people, and he'll, he'll say, isn't this unfair that, you know, they put tariffs on our dairy and we don't put it on them? Most people may look at that if they're not thinking about the big picture and say, yeah, that is unfair. Why, why don't we have more dairy products? But what he doesn't say in the same breath 
is that you know within 12 hours of our decision to in in you know uh, you know respond against Afghanistan after 9/11 that Canada immediately stood up to support us. He doesn't say that Canada is always supporting the dollar being the reserve country around the world. He doesn't say that Canada has backed us in every foreign engagement we've ever uh, pursued. You know, he leaves out all of those aspects of relationships, and he just tries to focus and divide once again the American people on, like, one small transactional aspect. I mean, you know, just like you've got friends of yours, and you don't always agree with your friends on everything, and sometimes your friends call you up when you were younger and say, hey, I need you to help me move tomorrow morning, and you really want to do it, but you're friends, so you do it. I mean, that's the nature of relationships, and he doesn't ever focus the American people on the, 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 the broad aspect of these incredibly valuable and important relationships. Yeah, I think that's a, an astute point, John. Let's bring it local here. Um, well, you know, we had the July or the June 26 election that decided the results for the Maryland primary. And of course, now we, um, as you're leaving Congress, there, there was several um, really great Democrats uh, who are running in the six con- congressional district. And then it ultimately decided that David Trone is going to be the nominee and he's going to go up against your former opponent, Ami Hober and the general mm-hmm. election. What do you, what's your, what's your take on that race? Well, I think, uh, you know, I'm clearly supporting David in that race, obviously. Uh, and, uh, I think he's going to win. Oh. You know, I ran against Ami last time and, uh, you know, I think the environment is probably even more positive for a Democrat uh, in the 6th District this time, so I would expect David to win. He certainly made a lot of inroads in places like Washington County, and he's had the one-on-one conversations that he's needed to have to develop the relationships. And as you know, John, it takes it takes a couple of years or even a term to really understand the players on the ground yep. who – is uh, associated with with whom the organizations that you need to get in front of. And as I've watched the Trone campaign, I've seen them uh, do a pretty good job of just getting in front of the the right people and having those important conversations. And I know when you would go up to Washington County, where I'm from, uh, you know, you would go before the the, the Chamber of Commerce. You would have uh, discussions with. Uh, all types of, and he, he built a pretty solid coalition and, and ran on um, issues that I think that are important to the sixth district. And now looking at the, in, in the race for our County executive here in Montgomery County, John, you, uh, you said you voted for David Blair and that is a race that is now between what 80 votes and the results are still yeah. un, unconfirmed. And, I, I think that, uh, you know, depending on what happens, if there's a recount or if there's any legal challenges, that's a that's a wildly interesting race. A businessman just like you, John, yeah. he stepped into the, the field, he put ideas and he ran and he self-funded, which I have no problem with. And he really brought up a, a different perspective in this race. Yeah. Well, you know, I've known David for a long time, uh, which is, you know, one of the, the, the reasons I was, I voted for. I don't well. I don't have anything against Mark. Candidates, including like Bill Frick, who ran, who's a good, you know, I consider a good friend of his. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I do think David a unique perspective uh, to the race. I think he really analyzed some of the issues that Montgomery County has from a competitiveness standpoint. You know, I think too often Montgomery. 
Montgomery County has viewed itself as being a competitor with just Virginia, when in reality the District of Columbia is in many ways is the biggest competitor. And I think, you know, the county's had a competitiveness issue. It's uh, reflected in the fact that the taxes are quite high in Montgomery County and the, uh, uh, the job growth is not particularly strong. A, a kind of a scary long-term formula. I One of the only that, places in the United States of America where you move from the city to the suburbs and your taxes go up is when you move from Washington, D.C. to Montgomery County. It happen yeah. anywhere else in the United States of America. Well, well, you know, if you're going to have that, you better really be bringing your agent to everything you do. Agreed. And, you know, I still think that had you run for governor, and it's a very personal choice, um, I think that you would have been Governor Larry Hogan's staunchest political foe in a general election, but the race has been decided. You came out in support of Rashern Baker. He lost to Ben Jealous. He came in second in the primary. So any any reads on the gubernatorial election in the fall? I mean, I'll, I'll, I will clearly support the uh, Democratic nominee, uh, Ben Jealous. I mean, again, I I supported Rashern because I've known him for quite some time, and I've always thought he was a good, very good and decent person, And uh, which doesn't mean I don't think the others are. I just happen to know Rashern uh, quite well. So that was really the basis of, of my endorsement um, in that race. Yeah. Well, John, you are working hard out all over the country, it's really cool to watch you from afar. And as I said, I am going to I'm going to talk to your team, and I'm going to fo- I'm going to get on the campaign trail with you. And I'd love to come to some events and uh, to catch up with you, especially up in. I was a little too far away for me, but I would love to come yeah. back to, uh, to come to up New, to New Hampshire. Hampshire, particularly in the summer. It's, it's awfully nice. But I mean, I got to say, Ryan, uh, campaigning in the six, particularly in Western Maryland, um, was really. Uh, an amazing experience for me and has prepared me, I think, for what I'm doing now in Ohio and New Hampshire. Because as you said, I think the folks in Western Maryland, the best way to communicate to those people uh, is to really be spending time in their communities doing meet and greets. You remember that I do all these office hours and made myself available. And that's been an incredible background for me as I take this next step. And, uh, I'll always carry the 6th District with me, and I think particularly Western Maryland, because I learned so much um, campaigning in uh, that part of my district uh, that I think is a real asset to me going forward. Well, we're certainly going to miss you in Congress, and we appreciate that how hands-on your office has been. One of the, the most, the, I think the biggest compliments that I could give uh, you is that you've developed a team that is focused on constituent services. Anytime that we had a question or a concern about the federal government, um, myself or my wife, we would contact the office and immediate assistance was given and they would go to the ends of the earth. And I think that speaks to how your, uh, you have set up and your, your vision for uh, the sixth district, not only as a congressman, but you know how how you just operate in general. Um, you always, uh, your staff is just terrific, and I, I have to give you a lot of credit. And that's why I thank I, you. you know, I remember that, Ryan. As you know, oh, that's yeah, the I, part of the job that we can control the most. Right. That's right. Um, We've tried to do. You know, it's, it's that that expression in life, which you you know you can only control what you can control. 
for Congress, you can directly control your constituent services, certainly a lot more than you can control legislation getting done on Capitol Hill. <laughs> well, I know Where, that had to be. Uh, you can really focus. Yeah, I know that legislation on Capitol Hill goes through the slog and through the bowels of Congress, and it's not always the prettiest process. And when you do get something passed, and it's, it's a great feeling. But nonetheless, John, um, I appreciate you coming on. This uh, this morning having this conversation, yeah, it's always great to talk to you. I'm sure I'm good. Well, I appreciate that, and your your staff folks got right back to me, and that that really means a lot. So, um, best of luck out there. I know Congress. I think is Congress in session today. You're you're down in D.C. Yeah, we. uh, I'm actually uh, I'm on the hill now, waiting to sit in my car, wait to finish up this call, and uh, then I'm going to go in, and we're going to vote and head to New Hampshire. There you go. Well, very good. John, um, have a safe trip to New Hampshire. Thanks again for doing this, and we'll see you on the campaign trail. Great. All right. Take care, John. Thanks so much. Bye. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was Representative John Delaney from Maryland's 6th Congressional District. He is a 2020 Democratic presidential candidate, and you can check him out on the web at on, I think it's johndelaney.com or John Delaney for President. Um, it's one of those. My, my apologies. Um, nonetheless, he joined us. He is down in D.C., ready, ready to go vote, and then is heading to New Hampshire, the first in the primary, the first in the nation primary state. Been there many times. Great place. Check it out. Thanks for listening to a minor detail radio podcast. You can find us on the web at a minor My name is Ryan Miner. Have a great day. <laughs>